talking about this whole series we've been looking at, Great Faith. I don't want to get rehashed and go over it again. We've, we've been there, we've done that. Well, but we've spent about six weeks talking about great faith. Now, one thing that's painfully obvious and clear in the Bible is that faith activates heaven. Faith creates an environment where things can happen. In the same way, we see very clearly in the scriptures that unbelief creates an environment where things can be stifled and things can be stopped. We all know the story of Jesus going to his hometown and the Bible saying that he could do no mighty works there. It doesn't allude to the fact that he didn't want to. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say he didn't want to. It says he couldn't. So there's something about unbelief that's powerful. In the same way, there's something about faith that's also powerful because we see in the scripture time and time again, according to your faith, let it be. According to your faith, let it be. You have great faith and so on. And we do have these couple of stories in the Bible where Jesus points out the great faith of a couple of individuals. And so we've been spending the last probably six weeks looking at different aspects of great faith and what uh, what does great faith look like. Without going over them all, I'll just recap again. The first thing was great faith draws on the grace of God. Second one was great faith believes that God is able. God actually has the power to do things. Third one was that great faith believes God is willing. Not only does God have the ability to do things, but God has a heart that's willing to get involved in our lives and to help us through our situations and circumstances. Fourth one was great faith sees God's word as reality. We believe what God says. We stand on what God says. And and we get into the word of God until it becomes alive to us and God speaks to us and we run with that. Fifth one was that great faith continues to believe in the midst of disappointment. And we had a look at Thomas. And Thomas is a great example, not of a doubter, but of somebody with actually great faith. When you go back and you look at the two or three little windows we get into his life in the New Testament, he's, there's only two or three situations where Thomas is actually mentioned in the Gospel. In each of those situations, we get a picture of a man of great faith, not a doubter, a man of great faith. But when Jesus was crucified, all his hopes and dreams and who he thought Jesus was going to be were shattered. So Thomas is not a man who doubted. Thomas was a man who just was disappointed. When the disciples came back to him and said, we've seen the risen Lord, his response was, until I see the holes and touch the scars and so on, I won't believe either. He wasn't showing unbelief. He was just saying to the disciples, I want the same thing that you had. You only believe. The disciples only believed because they saw the resurrected Jesus. The Bible tells us that they were cowering in fear for their lives up in a prayer meeting. They weren't up there in faith. The Bible makes special mention. They were in fear. They were afraid. What's going to happen to us now that our Lord has been crucified? What's going to happen to us? We're followers of him. We could be seen as political insurgents. We could be killed, imprisoned. So they're hiding in fear and Jesus appears before them and shows them the scars and everything like that. So all Thomas was saying was, I just want the same thing that you got. You you needed to see him to believe in this environment that we're in. I just want to see the resurrection just like you did. So Thomas was not a doubter. Thomas was a man of great faith, but he's a great model of how to overcome and continue to believe in the face of disappointment. And so we talked about a few points out of Thomas's life. <laughs> I want to move on to my last point here today. And it seems to be in line with this, and that's why I was saying maybe we should just watch the war room. Great faith persists in prayer. There you go. Fantastic. Awesome. That's great. That's fantastic. 30 years of prayer and this man gave his heart to the Lord. You know, I believe this very, very strongly. I believe that nothing of significance happens in our life that doesn't have a foundation of prayer. I I strongly believe that. There's something about prayer 
There's something about that connection with God. There's something about the union of us speaking to God in two-way, listening, that building of relationship. Yeah, how many of you know I can't have a relationship with my wife if there's no communication? Is that true? If I don't have communication with an individual, I don't have a relationship with them. It's, it's a no-brainer. It's simple. And in the same way with God, prayer is a communication with God. If I don't have communication with God, maybe I don't have a great relationship with God because I have communication where I have great relationship. And communication and prayer is communication with God. It's two-way. It's us speaking to him. It's him downloading and speaking to us. But the point I want to make today is I don't want to teach on prayer, but I want to get us to see that a mark of great faith, the characteristic of great faith is persistent prayer. Not just prayer, but persistent prayer. The ability to pray and to pray and to come back and to come back and to come back and to believe God for what he's called you to do, for what he's spoken to you, what he's told you is yours, what's available to you, what he wants to give to you, what he wants to do for you, what he wants you to do, the barriers he wants to break down, the things he wants to launch you into, the things he wants you to see, the things he wants you to understand. You know, I believe God wants to do a lot more in my life and a lot more in your life and a lot more in the life of this church, a lot more in the life of the Western church. But to a certain degree, he's waiting for prayer. He's waiting for invitations. He's waiting for connection. He's waiting for us to bring things to him. He's waiting for us to sit quietly and to open our ears and to listen to what he has to say to us. Prayer is a great characteristic of faith, but not just prayer, but persistent prayer. I want to go back real quick. I wasn't going to do this, but I want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 11. I want to deviate a little bit (laughs) this morning. This has been on my heart sort of halfway through the week. This came, uh, this verse came to my mind and It says, this is just after Saul has been anointed king of Israel. Just after Saul has been... Remember, Israel cried out to the Lord for a king. God didn't want them to have a king. God was their king. He wanted to lead them. But they looked around at the other nations and and, and they found themselves in a different situation. They found themselves in a position where there was another nation coming against them and they said, look, the way that you win battles is we need a king. We need a military leader is what they were saying. We want a military leader like all the other nations. This was their request to God. And Samuel goes to the Lord and goes, this is what they want. And God says, you know what, I'll give it to them. It's what they want, I'll give it to them. You know? It was never the highest intention of God. But they wanted a king. They wanted a military leader. So they got a guy by the name of Saul. Handsome dude, big, strong, probably a lot like myself when I read his description. <laughs> it's not funny. Okay. In Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered and said, Here's, here's the deal. I'll make a covenant with you. In other words, I'll leave you alone. I'll leave you alone. I won't destroy you. But here's the deal. On this condition, I will make a covenant with you that I may put out your right eyes and bring reproach on all of Israel. If you let me take out your right eye, then I'll make a covenant with you. You let me take out your right eye, I'll give you peace. I won't come against you. I'll leave you alone. All it's going to cost you is your right eye. Now, what was significant about the right eye back in this day? How many of you know, several times in the Old Testament, it gets pointed out to us, and he was left-handed. 
You read those stories? It'll go through a list of warriors and it'll make special mention of a left-handed warrior. Left-handed warriors were rare. The normal way that people fought in those days was they would hold a sword in their right hand, they would hold a shield in their left hand. And when they would form uh, together and to go up against an army, they would hold the shield up in their left hand and it would cover their left eye. And their right eye would be free to see what was going on. They needed their right eye to fight. They needed their right eye to see what was going on. Without their right eye, they were useless in battle. They were powerless. And this is what he's saying to him. He's saying, you know what? If you let me take out your right eye, because basically once I take out your right eye, it means you don't have the capacity to fight. You're no problem to me. I'll leave you alone. You know what? I really strongly, strongly believe that the devil is trying to take out our right eye. The devil wants to take out your right eye. He wants to render you powerless. He wants to make a covenant with you. He'll leave you alone. But there's a condition. Stop praying. You know, the Bible says the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're mighty in God, pulling down strongholds and so on. Prayer is the greatest weapon that we have. Prayer is the greatest weapon that we have. What's interesting about this verse is Nahash. That same word, the Greek word for Nahash is used again in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. You know what it's translated as? The serpent. It's exactly the same Hebrew word that's used in Genesis 3.1 to describe the devil. The devil will make a covenant with you. The devil will leave you alone. He will give you peace to a degree. If you will allow him to take away your capacity to fight. If you will lay down capacity to fight. And the greatest weapon that we have in this day and age is our prayer life. Nothing significant is going to happen that doesn't have its foundation laid in prayer. We live in such a busy age, such a time-consuming age, where from the minute we open our eyes to the minute we lay down at night, there is something to do, is there? There's always something to do. And for most of us, it's not just something to do, it's something that has to be done. Not many people these days have the liberty of this thing that we once used to have called free time. Who's got free time anymore? Who's got spare time? I've got absolutely, I've got absolutely nothing to do right now. Absolutely nothing. So I'm going to do absolutely nothing. I wish. I wish. That's my prayer. Lord, give me some spare time. That's if I can find time to pray to ask him. The enemy wants to kill your prayer life. He wants to take away your prayer life. He wants to make you so busy. He wants to make you so occupied. He wants you to get so focused on everything else that you just don't have the time anymore to pray. And it's like plucking out your right eye. It's like plucking out your right eye. We can't let him do it. We can't let him do it. We are in such a crucial time, particularly in the West right now, Western Church. I was just thinking about this the other day. I was... 
thinking about how we almost have a hybrid gospel nowadays. It's 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 this. It's 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 this. It's the cross. It is. It's Christian. It's this. But we've got so many other bits and pieces that we go. Well, I'm sick of resisting that. So we'll okay. No, that's all right. I can't. Oh, we'll allow a little bit of that. We'll allow a little bit of this. We'll allow a little bit of that. And let's make a Christianity that, particularly in the Western nations, it's 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 acceptable. Let's come up with a form of Christianity that's socially acceptable, that's individually acceptable, that's not going to lose me too many friends. It's not going to, I'm not going to have to take stands that might cost me a career. Uh, I'm not going to have to, to, to uh, you know, I, 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 was, I was watching, um, anyone been following the American um, elections at the moment? Ben Carson? Anyone know Ben Carson? Gifted hands? He's running for um, one of the parties there. And uh, I got online the other day because there was a, was a massive big news event that he came out publicly and said, I would not vote for a, a Muslim prime minister in America. Anyone see those headlines? Wow. Well, I'm thinking, what's, what's so extraordinary about him coming out and saying that? Of course he wouldn't. You know, but it's massive, massive. Even amongst the churches, people are going, oh, I read, read a, 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 watched the article and they read the responses and stuff. So, and people are saying, oh, you're being too hardcore. When he explained himself, he said this. He said, look, the only reason I can't is because when I look at the constitution of our nation and I look at the basic tenets of that religion, somebody who adheres to that religion will not agree with the basic constitution of our country. That's why I'm saying I can't vote for that person. And I thought it makes fantastic sense. But the amount of people that got on saying, and these are Christian people, you're just taking it a bit too far. You're crossing a bit of a line. You know, my goodness, my goodness. How much room are we going to allow the message to get compromised? How it, it, It'll get to the point where it'll just be this grey matter of Christian or not Christian that won't matter anymore because we're all basically going to be the same. I think the enemy is doing everything he can to stop us praying because when we stop praying, when we stop praying in our own lives, when we stop praying in the life of the church, when we stop praying in the life of the nation, it's like taking out our right eye. And we can stand there being defensive all we want, but we can't see the enemy slowly walking towards us. We can't see him coming in around the back. We can't see him, what he's doing and where he's going. And, and we get sideswiped and so on. And we begin to compromise. And you know what? It all starts when we decide I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to pray. I've got too many other important things on today. If I prioritise my list of what's important to me, the reality is prayer is probably number eight, nine, maybe ten. It's not important to me. And so I don't make that time and take that time. And part of that's because we've lo- we, we lose the impact. We lose the power and the importance of prayer. We lose the impact of how incredibly powerful our prayer times can be, particularly men. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of, um, there are a lot of admonitions in the Bible that talk about prayer, and I don't want to labour on this right now, but you'd be amazed how many of the times when it talks about prayer, the word used, uh, I want men to pray, but the word used is actually male. It's actually male. I want to go and have a look at a story in a second, the, the story of the persistent widow. You know the word there where it says, uh, Jesus uh, said a prayer that men should pray? That word men, it actually is male. 
And that's not saying women shouldn't pray, but I think it's just an acknowledgement that generally speaking, women are more natural prayers than men are anyway. Men, we sit there in prayer and our natural thing is, well, I could be doing something. You know, why am I praying about this? I could be doing something about it. We're action people. We're action men. We want to do things, you know. Women probably a lot more relational. They like to talk more. So sitting there talking to an invisible God is probably a lot more natural to them. It's easy for them to do, you know. The problem is God's going, trying to get a word in. But the point is, prayer is a powerful, powerful thing. And if we're not deliberate about it, it won't happen. It's like reading your Bible. If you're not deliberate about it, it won't just happen. Coming to church, if you're not deliberate about working your week, it won't happen. There'll always be something to do, somewhere to go, someone to see, someone to speak to, a task to finish, a job to start. There'll always be stuff until we prioritise. And the Bible gives us time and time again, it talks about the importance of prayer, especially in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, if you go uh, into the book of Acts uh, where are we? Where are we? When the church was first birthed, we all understand the tenets of the early church. What did they do? There were four main things they did. They fellowship, word of God, prayer and communion. And we see that when Luke gives his updates in the book of Acts. But it was interesting, I went back and I reread some of it this week. The very first mention of the church after the resurrection of Jesus says this. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The very first mention after the resurrection of Christ, after the church had seen him, the very first thing that they do when they got together didn't include the word, didn't include communion, didn't include fellowship. The mention very first time is they got together and they prayed. They prayed. And the church was birthed out of prayer. The highest priority was to pray. They got together and they sought God about the future. Okay, there's a small group of us. What do we do now? We don't know. So rather than just make something up, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's cry out to God. Let's see what God has to say to us. If we don't get deliberate about our prayer life, if we don't get deliberate about time in prayer, if we don't get deliberate about being focused in prayer, we can forget all the other stuff because the real stuff happens out of a foundation and a base of prayer. We can run around doing all we want. Martin Luther was once quoted as saying, I woke up and and I had 50,000 things to do today. He said, I was that busy that I'm going to spend the first three hours in prayer. That's his quote. I'm that busy today, I'm going to spend the first three hours in prayer. He understood something about the importance of prayer. Sounds bizarre to me that you would do that. Sounds bizarre to me that you would be able to be focused for that long. But that's only because I'm a product of the world that I'm growing up in. Everything quick, everything instant. You go to Luke 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. says, and he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So telling us right up front, this is why I'm telling you this story. I'm telling you this story with the end result this, that you would remember to always pray and don't lose heart. Why do we lose heart when we pray? Because we haven't seen the answer. Is that right? We don't see the answer, so we lose heart. What happens when we lose heart too much? We stop praying. We just accept things. Situations, circumstances that may or may not be God. May not be God. 
We all know the story in the, in the book of Daniel, where Daniel was praying. And the Bible says that Daniel sought the Lord. And after 21 days, an angel appeared before Daniel. And the angel said to Daniel, Here I am. From the very first day that you began to pray, you set your heart to understanding, I was on my way. But there was resistance. There was something in the spiritual realm that stopped me getting to you. And a battle was taking place. But after 21 days, the angel made it. But he said to Daniel, from the moment you began to pray, I started to move. Things happen in the spiritual realm when we pray. Things happen in the unseen world when we pray. And sometimes we pray and bang, it happens straight away. And we love that sort of stuff. We love that. We love to see the results straight away. We love to see things happen straight away. It's exhilarating. The answer is there. Once I've seen the answer, I don't need faith anymore. I throw faith away because now I've got the fact it's finished. Yeah, hallelujah. But we need to learn to pray with persistence. We need to learn to punch through the heavenlies. We need to learn to push through the stuff that's there. Because just because you want something to happen, and just because God wants it to happen, the devil doesn't just sit back and go, okay. I'm outnumbered two to one. He resists. He fights. He tries to stand against you. And you know what he does? He goes like this. He goes, you know what, Jackie? I know that you can beat me. I know that you've got my measure. But do you know? I'm going to test you. You prayed, I'm going to stand. You pray, I'm going to stand. And I'm going to see who backs out first. Imagine if Daniel had to stop praying after 20 days. After 20 days, he just lost heart and said, oh, it hasn't happened. God, you're not, maybe, maybe it's, it's not right. Maybe, it, uh, maybe it's not the will of God. Maybe it's not. But if it's not the will of God, guess what? God will tell you. Keep praying until he tells you. Don't stop. Pray, pray. Don't lose heart. Punch through. Seek God. Go after heaven. And it says in verse 2, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming, she weary me out. She wear me down. She nag, 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 chip away, chip away, chip away. And in the end I go, whatever. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Okay, let's go back and see what he said again. Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Verse 7. And shall God not avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him? It's not just once. They didn't just cry out once in the day and then let it go. Give up and say, well, it mustn't be the will of God, or the answer didn't come. They cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Catch this. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find what on the earth? Will he really find what? Faith. Jesus is making a deliberate link here between faith and persistent prayer. Faith and persistent prayer.
Your prayer life is your faith life. Your prayer life is your faith life. If you want to know how much faith and trust I have in God, in reality, come and see how much time I spend praying. I might not want you to see that. I've got a lot of faith in myself. I can handle certain things. I can work things out. I can plan and plot and scheme. I can do a lot of things myself. I've got a bit of faith in myself and my abilities. <laughs> if you want to know how much faith I've got in God, look at my prayer life. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm not. But look at my prayer life. And you'll get a bit of an indication as to my faith life. You know, I was flicking through the internet as you do. And I was looking at how the average person spends their day. And I came across these statistics. The average person spends about 24 minutes a day getting dressed. That'd be about right. Well, now that's average. Males are about three. Females are about 57. And they average it out to about 24 uh, minutes. Exactly. Well, I just chuck a hat on normally. Um, 40 minutes a day on the phone. The average person spends about 40 minutes a day on the phone. 40 minutes a day on the phone. It's probably more now, probably more nowadays, if you consider sitting there looking at Facebook and acts, acts, uh, apps and all that sort of stuff. But approximately 40 minutes a day. This is the averages. They spend approximately one hour a day in the bathroom. I can tell you I spend one hour in one sitting, but I need more fibre. The average person spends about three hours a day watching TV. Again, these are averages. About three hours a day, roughly, watching television. About three hours a day watching TV. And here's the important thing. The average Christian spends approximately seven to ten minutes a day in prayer. That's average. So there'd be some who are... But the average... Amount of time by this is George Barner who does a lot of research into church and different aspects of church life and so on. The average Christian spends seven to ten minutes a day in prayer. Some of you are probably sitting there going, Wow, if I could only do seven minutes. Some of you are probably sitting here going, I'm on the average. Some of you are probably sitting here going, Well, the average Christian is not as committed as me. I half an hour. I'm not here to pick and, you know. Play, play one-upmanship with each other because we pray more. I'm here to make the point and to get us to see the importance of our prayer life, to get us to see the value of our prayer life because we live in an age where I really feel like prayer is becoming diluted. It's becoming a non-necessity because there's so much at our disposal now here in the West to achieve, to do anything, to get anything pretty much. You, 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 who needs to pray and ask God? Who needs to seek God anymore? I was going to cure wrong and buy a book on the subject. I don't want to pray and ask God to give me a revelation. I was going to buy a book and read somebody else's second-hand revelation. It's, it's easier. Why would I want to pray? Why would I want to pray and ask God for a miracle for a new car when I just go to the bank and get a loan? I was going to get a loan. Pay it off. Work it all out. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting books from Kurong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting a loan from a bank for a car. Not saying anything. What I am saying, though, is it's wrong if our first recourse is to go to all these things, but we don't want to go to God. 
We don't want to ask God. We don't want to invite God into situations. What's interesting with this woman here, it says that she kept on going back continually. You know, there's no indication in this story that the judge ever said no to her. There's no indication in the story that the judge actually said no to her. She kept coming back and back and back and back because she didn't get an answer. She didn't get an answer. Are we the same persistent with God as she is with the judge? Do we keep going back and back and back until we get an answer? Paul had a thorn in his side and he kept going back and back and back and back and back to God. And he stopped when God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. Got my answer. Whatever that means, whatever that interpretation is, I've got my answer. So he moves on. Whether it's a yes or a no, at least it's an answer from God. I think sometimes we just give up because it didn't come straight away. The first time, the second time, the third time, we give up. We don't persist in getting the face of God. God, I'm going to bug you and hand you and hand you and hand you until I get an answer. And if that answer is no, God, fine. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm happy. But God, give me an answer. God, speak to me. God, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. God, say something about this situation. And we have such a natural tendency to interpret nothing as no. Nothing's not always no. Nothing can quite often be. Come again. It's on the it's on the way. It's on the way. Keep coming. It's on the way. Keep coming. You're getting closer. Keep coming. You're getting closer. Keep coming. And 30 years later, a young man gives his heart to Christ. What if we stop praying after 29 years? Who knows? I'm not saying it wouldn't happen. I don't know. I don't know. How many answers could you have had from God had you prayed one more morning? Or for one more week? Or... But we just gave up. We got tired. We got defeated. We interpreted it as a no. We, we looked at it in the natural and said, this won't happen. And God's going, man, I've got so much that I want to do, so many things that I want to give to you, so many breakthroughs that I want to bring into your world, so many things that I want to show you. You see, prayer is about two primary things. One, it's about focus. When we pray, we focus in on God. It's a time where we get to focus on God. And we lay aside all other distractions and we put our hands down and we say, God, normally I'd be out there like this, I'm fixing it. God, I'm going to sit on my hands and it's my way of spiritually saying to you, I can't do anything. God, I want you to do something. Lord, I need you to speak to me. Yes, no, left, right, up, down. It's about focus. It's also about acknowledgement. It's about putting time aside each day and sitting there and acknowledging to God and acknowledging to the spiritual realm who's in control. You know, I, I like to, to get up in the morning. I'm a terrible morning person, absolutely terrible. Woeful, actually. Um, I'll wake up, actually. I'll probably wake up at about 2 o'clock today. There's a, there's a lot of scriptural indications that Jesus liked to pray early in the morning. You go back through the Psalms and you read the life of David, there's a lot of indications there that David also was a bit of a morning person. He liked to rise early 
and seek God and praise God and be with God. And that kind of makes sense to me. It's a little bit like uh, you know, being thrown in the deep end of a swimming pool and once you're in the water, struggling, and then being told to learn how to swim. Um, I think it's better to learn how to swim first and then jump in the deep water. And, and prayer can be a bit like that. Let's you know, start the day early in the morning, put some time aside, pray, focus on God, start the day with that sense of focus, start the day with that sense of acknowledgement first before we move into a hectic and a crazy and an out-of-control day and all the stuff that's going to be thrown at us. Uh, let's maybe take a little bit of time to learn to swim first and then... Jump in. So it makes a bit of sense to me to do it in the morning. But whether you do it in the morning, whether you do it in the night, the afternoon, it, it makes no difference. The point is that we do it. The point is that we pray, that we put some time aside and that we be committed to building a solid prayer life, that we be committed to praying and to seeking God. You know, this woman, she had a lot of things that went against her. She's approaching a judge who doesn't give a care about God. He doesn't care about God. Doesn't care who God is. Doesn't fear God. Doesn't fear the consequences of God. Also said that he didn't care about men. He didn't care whether you're a poor widow or whether you're a rich, wealthy businessman with connections. He just didn't care. He just didn't care. His character was that, I don't really care who you are or what you want. I'm going to do what I want. She had a lot of things that were against her in this little parable. A little bit like the lepers that came to Christ. They had a lot of reasons why they couldn't get to him. There were a lot of barriers to stop them from getting to him. They had leprosy. They should be out living in the local tip or living in leprosy. They shouldn't be in society. They could. They, 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 there was a harsh punishment for coming into mainstream society with a disease such as leprosy. Woman with the issue of blood shouldn't have been in there with a big crowd. You know, she had a lot of barriers to get through. Zacchaeus had a lot of barriers to get through. He was tiny. He had to climb a tree. The guys that carried their mate to Jesus and had to rip the roof open and lower him down, they had a lot of barriers, a lot of things that were standing in their way that they actually had to work through in order to get to Jesus. And it can be a bit like that, trying to create this regular habit of prayer in your life. You've got a thousand reasons why you can't do it. You've got a thousand reasons why you can't make that time to come to Jesus. But guess what? We have to. We have to. And I don't say we have to because if we don't, God doesn't love us. It's not a legalistic thing. It's not a religious thing. But for the sake of our spiritual lives, we need to make that time. We have to prioritise that time. We have to be individuals who prioritise that time with God. If we don't prioritise that time with God, if we don't make a deliberate effort to make it happen, it just won't happen. It won't happen. Prayer will never be a part of your life if you passively sit back and hope well, when I get through this, maybe when this next two weeks of work is finished, I won't be so busy, then I'll do it. Who knows what happens then? Something else is there. And then something else is there. Oh, well, look, yeah, okay, I got through those two weeks. Now I've just got this other week of our family visiting me. So while my family are here, I'll, I'll just you know, put my prayer life on hold so I can be with them. And, and when the family goes, then it'll settle down. And then the family go, and then what happens? Then the sun comes out and I've got two days of sunshine to get my garden done. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to prioritise all my spare time in the garden, make sure I get the gardening done. But once those two days of gardening, then... And there's always something there. There's always a barrier. There's always something standing between you and your ability to try to get time with Jesus. It's scriptural. It always happens and always will happen. We need to prioritise that time. If we don't, it simply will not happen. I was finished up with a little story about a friend of mine. 
There's this guy that me and Jackie met a few years ago. We, we uh, worked with a, a, another man, and he was a good friend of this other mate of ours. And Anyway, cut a long story short, he came through Ballina. This would be going back probably 15, 10-odd years ago. And he came through town, and he stayed at our place, and he, he had this conversation. He said, you know what? He said, I remember years and years and years ago, this would be going back 25, maybe 30 years ago, he said, I came through Ballina on a, on a surfing trip. He was a bit of a hippie child. And he made his way from Sydney, you know, hitchhiking rides with people. And they got to Ballina, and him and a mate, he said, we got offered a block of land in Ballina. And it was, you know where the prawn is, where Bunnings is now? It was a block of land all around there. Big, it was just farm and swamp and stuff. And he said, we got offered all this land there. And he said, the guy offered it to us, this massive big area for $6,000. $6,000. He said, now, it was a bargain back then. I mean, it'd be worth millions now. Millions now. He got offered it for $6,000. You know what he said to me? He said, but I was, I was focused. I was going on a surfing trip. I probably could have got the money, but it would have been a bit of a distraction and I would have had to stop what I was doing and go and get the dollars together and so on. But I just wanted to go surfing, so we just let it pass and kept on going. I can tell you now, when I sat with him that day, he acknowledged it would have been a really, really good investment. It would have been a really good investment back then. But he missed the moment. He missed the moment. And I'd hate to think for any of us, when we're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. That we would sit there and we would look back over the last years of our life and go, well, 30 years ago, I was really challenged to actually put time aside and pray. Just 15 minutes a day even. I was challenged to do that. But I was just too busy. It was too inconvenient. I had other things to do. Other things were more important, whatever. It was great, you know. Felt a little bit inspired. Maybe I went and did it for a day or two, but after that, didn't bother doing it again. Wouldn't it be terrible in 30 years' time to look back? I already do it. I already look back now and go, God, some of the things that you've challenged me in and some of the, the basic discipline of Christianity, if I had have followed through and made them lifestyle choices and locked them into my life and run with them, I wonder how different my life could be now. I wonder what my relationship with you could be like now, Lord. I wonder what things I could have going on around me, in my world, around my life. What achievements could I have reached? What goals could I have reached? Because I prioritised that time. I focused on you. I acknowledged you. I brought you into my day. I spent that time praying. I wonder. My prayer is that none of us in this room would have any of those sort of regrets later in life because we acknowledge the importance of prayer, we acknowledge the need for prayer and we discipline ourselves and we make the time to prioritise prayer in our lives now. I want to leave you with a challenge. James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Is that right? Worst, worst form of deception is self-deception. We hear stuff, we read the Bible, and yeah, but we don't do it. That's the worst form of deception available to humankind. 
I want to challenge you, and I'm challenging myself in this too. I don't know what your prayer life looks like. I don't know what your day looks like. But I want to throw a challenge at you. I want to challenge you to commit. If you're not praying, if you know that maybe every second, third day, whatever, or you're just sort of, you know, maybe in the car, throw out a prayer on your way to work, which a lot of us, a lot of us do. We, we incorporate prayer into the busyness of our life, which is better than nothing. But still, there's something about putting time aside and focusing. Because when I'm praying in my car, I'm not really focused on God. I'm focused on the road and I'm making sure that all this other stuff's going. I want to challenge you. 15 minutes. 15 minutes a day. Starting today. Before you go to bed tonight. 15 minutes. Draw yourself aside somewhere quietly and pray. I don't care what you're praying about. I don't care what you, uh, where you do it, but 15 minutes alone with God. Find a place. Go and sit in your car in the driveway if it's the only quiet place. Anymore. But find somewhere to go. 15 minutes. And here's what else I want you to do. Before the end of today, I want you to contact somebody, a friend, or it might be someone in church, might be someone outside, but I want you to contact somebody and say to them, I've made this commitment. I'm going to pray Put aside 15 minutes a day. You might want to do more than that. You might, you might be doing 15, you might be challenged, you want to do 20, 30. But, but contact someone and say, I've made this decision. Not because I have to, not to make God love me, but because I see the importance of that connection with God. I, I want to see how my life will be transformed if I do that. Challenge yourself. Have a look back. Do it for, do it for 21 days and look back at your life and see what the last 21 days were like. See what happens. Contact someone and say, I've made this decision. I want you to keep me accountable. Maybe once a week I want you to ring me and I want you to ask me how you're going with your commitment. And I'm going to be brutally and truthfully honest. And say to them, but I don't want you to sympathise with the reasons why. I want you to sympathise with my barriers. Think, oh, yeah, no, I understand that. Yeah, and I, say, I want you to hold me to it. I made this commitment before me and before God. So that's a little challenge that I want to throw out at you. A little practical challenge. You don't have to do it, but I'm challenging you to do it. It'll make a difference in your life. Amen? Some people are looking at me going. <sighs> anyway, I believe it will make a difference. Prayer changes things, amen? Amen. And what a great way to start the service, but to hear of a gentleman we, people prayed for for 30 years. 30 years. And we saw the ultimate miracle there. Amen. Father, thank you. Uh, Lord, for this morning, God, life is so incredibly hectic and so incredibly busy at the moment, God, for each and every one of us. And uh, Lord, we all have reasons why we struggle to prioritise prayer. We all have reasons why we struggle to prioritise time in your word. We, we all have valid reasons why at times it's a struggle to get to church. And Father, you uh, understand the world that we live in and you understand and acknowledge the struggles that we face. But Father, you also honour the fact that when we prioritise you, you honour that, God. Father, the word's very clear. You honour those who honour you, Father. And we want to honour you with our time. We want to honour you with not just our words, God. Sometimes words can be so easy to say. But Father, we want to honour you with our actions. God, we want to honour you by not just talking about prayer, not just amening prayer, but by praying. We want to honour you, God, not just by talking about the Bible, uh, by, by, by acknowledging the truth of the Bible, but by doing what the Bible tells us to do, Lord. God, we pray that you would raise us up as individuals and as a church 
that are serious about the things of God, that are serious about your word, serious about prayer, and that are serious about making a difference in a world, God, where your message seems to be getting so diluted and so watered down. Thank you, Father, for the gift of prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hang around. We've got tea and coffee and leftover cakes and biscuits and all sorts of stuff here. Um, Grab someone you haven't spoken to before. Talk to somebody new. You might meet your next best friend for life. You never know. Uh, And let me me just uh, encourage you. We've got the prayer meeting on Tuesday night. Make it come along. But the prayer meeting is no substitute for your personal connection with God. Okay?